Hey, what is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning how to bake the perfect eclair. Yeah, I haven't mastered it yet. We don't have the bacon tips here. I haven't gotten there. Wait, you haven't got... Oh, wait, are you trying? Oh, no, I haven't tried that specific one. It's not even in mine, but I do like baking Mm. French desserts. Like a a clough with your phrase? And while I can't guarantee that that one's not Belgian, since there's... Oh, it very much could be. It could. Yeah. It very much could be, but I like those kind of things. Like the like the clafouti I made was good, and the the blanc mange. You just like baking. I want to make around that area of the world. It's, it's just like it's a good category of desserts. Yeah, they 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 got it on lock over there. Anna and I are gonna go to, I think Italy this year, which isn't France, but it's close. So I imagine there's gonna be some pretty good desserts there too. Yeah. We'll see. I'm pretty excited. I would imagine. You're Should be see something. some uh, old, old stone buildings, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. History. Sometimes you got to fly halfway around the world to see some old stone buildings. Well, they're not as old here, so that would make sense. It, dude, this, that just kind of like blows my mind to think about. We're very like, young here. Everything in the United States is just incredibly new comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to get that <laughs> sense of history going over and being like, this is older than like... All the people I know put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's insane how much older things are there. Like, I remember uh, interviewing my friend Simon for this podcast, and he was like, you know, I went to Oxford, which is a 900-year-old university. So, yeah. you know, roughly three times the age of our country. Yeah. Just walking through those buildings. That, it's pretty cool. Anywho, so we're going to talk about something that may be a little contentious today. Um, I, I'm, I'm working on a video for this, but I thought we would hash it out as a podcast and I, it might actually be better as a podcast. I want to talk about doing what you love for a career or, or to more to the point of, uh, what I want to talk about today, potentially choosing not to do what you love as a career. So I'm calling this the case against following your passion uh, and I want to say right up front that I don't personally think that people shouldn't follow their passion, especially if you know what your passion is, because I don't know what mine is. But for people out there who do know, like I'm not saying don't follow your passion, but I do want to explore that side of the argument, because I feel like most of the internet wants us to follow our passion. It does sound nice. Yeah. You know, most every, you can be a famous musician you can be an artist you can be a youtuber just if you want to do it set your mind to it and do it like there's so many motivational messages out there i want to spend a bit of time fleshing out the other side of that argument my inspiration for this i can't remember exactly who it was but anna i believe told me a story about uh going and seeing um like a, a famous designer or somebody who had said like you might actually be happier going and getting a different job and then coming home and using the time and the money that your job provides to do your art in your off hours and not have to feel like that art needs to pay the bills. And that got me thinking, like, is it actually the right move to pursue a career in the thing that you love doing? Yeah. Uh, And so I don't know what your thoughts on this are. Um, I guess what I want to start off with is is to say that uh, I actually don't feel that I'm following my passion in life i don't know about you but i mean 
I find ways to loop the things I love into it, but I wouldn't say that yeah. my college major or most of the aspect like there were there are many times where I'm just like I never want to code again. I'm I hate computers. <laughs> but like yeah, I still do it and I'm good at it and I and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's my passion. Yeah. Just because it's fulfilling. I mean, you have a couple of things you really like to do. You like playing music, you like photography, but you haven't gone off and tried to become a professional photographer. You haven't. Yeah, and tried I to go and I wouldn't and be... really try that. I would try to get like side gigs to amuse myself. Yeah. But I would never think I should throw away the rest of my career that would easily pay for much more camera gear. That's true. Yeah. Then. Yeah, I mean, I made this. I had to make this kind of call when I, because you know, I'm, I went into university majoring in French. That was my initial major when mm-hmm. I went in for orientation. Before classes even started, I switched to MIS. That's right. Yeah. So, wait, you were going to major in French or was it linguistics? French. It was. Oh, it was French. Okay. I don't think I knew the term linguistics yet. Gotcha. That was a young Martin. He didn't know. I think you might have mentioned like possibly wanting to switch to linguistics maybe later on. Yeah. In college, I was. I was looking at it. That's right. Okay. But I did not. I actually had a couple of times during college where I wanted to switch majors. I was really bored with MIS. And uh, I remember sitting in a class one day looking at the construction engineering curriculum thinking, oh, this could be cool. Like build buildings. That'd be nice. But uh, I realized eventually it was just very much a manifestation of the dip. Yeah. Um, That's fair. You know, in my case, the dip, like coming out of the dip was just realizing that I didn't need to change my major because I didn't need a major. I just needed to keep making content and keep learning how to run a business. Um, but I say that I'm not following my passion because for me, creating content on the internet is something that I enjoy, but it is not my passion. I don't think I have a passion, but if it were, if I, if I did have a passion, it would just be learning new things. Like I, and I, and specifically music. I love like all aspects of playing music, singing, guitar, drums, all that kind of stuff. I love mountain biking, you know, all those things. So I could have tried to go off and be a pro mountain bike racer. I actually have a couple of friends who literally do that. They drive around in a van, they live in the van, and they mountain bike race for a living. Uh, I could have gone off and tried to start a band, which, funnily enough, both my brother and my cousin have done at various points in their life. And my brother is currently doing it. My cousin did it for several years and then eventually back to school. But I didn't do that, you know? And I enjoy making YouTube videos. I enjoy all this kind of stuff, but it's not, if you ask me like, what's your passion? I wouldn't be like, oh, you know, making self-improvement videos for the internet. Yeah. It's fun, it's fulfilling, but it's not my passion. So I guess I want to lay out the case for this style of living doing something that is fulfilling because I'm not saying like just go off and pick the highest paying job and let it suck your soul because you can get your soul back in the off hours. It's not what I'm saying. Um, What I am saying is you don't necessarily need to take that amazing fun thing that you love to do and then turn it into a passion. And I have several points as to why. So the, the, the whole reason I have this topic on my brain right now is uh, I've been playing a lot of Overwatch recently. So I've been watching a bunch of like pro strategy videos and stuff. And I came across this video about pro Overwatch players. Like it's an epidemic that they're retiring early. And by retiring, it means like they play for a year or two in the pro Overwatch league and then retire. And a lot of them have put out statements saying like, you know, it's, it's 12 hours a day practicing. 
it made the game not fun anymore. Um, my mental health is suffering. Like I don't have any time to exercise or eat well anymore. Like to stay competitive in this, I have to be practicing with my team like 12 hours a day, just doing the same team plays over and over and over again, or reviewing footage or all these things that aren't playing the game. So there's a lot of people out there who are pro or not pro. They're, they're just very into video games thinking I would love to do this for a living. And what a lot of these people realize when they become pro is it's not the walk in the park. It's not the fun thing that they thought it was going to be. Yeah. This is kind of like, I remember having several friends who wanted to be like professional video game testers, mm, mm-hmm. you know, just any, anything to somehow turn video games into money. Yeah. But you know, you're going to get sick of playing that like 17th horrible broken game. That's never going to get released just because you're testing it. That's, they don't exclusively make you play like the best titles and have <laughs> have fun, kid. Here's your paycheck. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, do you know what video game testing is? Like, say you're a tester for Dark Souls. All right, here's your job for the day. You're going to go into this one room. You're going to equip every single weapon, item, armor, every combination that you can think of, and you're going to try to walk into every wall and hope you don't get stuck. Yeah. You're going to fight this one enemy with every combination of thing you can think of on Xbox, PS4, PC, every platform we have the game on. You're going to test all those different variables. You will do that for eight hours. So you're not really playing the game in many cases. Like yeah. there are certain testers yeah. who will play the campaign for, you know, let's test that the level feels cohesive. But that's often, I would imagine, a, a much higher position. If you're getting into video game testing at a low level, you're probably doing the grunt work like that. And. That is about the furthest thing from actually playing a video game for fun that I can think of. Yeah. You know, what a recipe for making games not fun anymore. Um, and there's all kinds of examples like this. Uh, if anybody, you know, follows YouTuber culture, there's all these articles coming out about YouTuber burnout. There's, it seems like every creator that you can think of has put out some kind of video saying, I'm burned out, my mental health is suffering because of my upload schedule. Um, the algorithm, like, deprioritizing my content, you know, real like feeling like I'm over the hump, kind of like on my downside now for no reason. Um, another great example, I remember watching an interview between uh, the main guitarist for the band Periphery, one of my favorite bands, and this guy named Ola Englund, who's like a, I think he's a Swedish guy. He's a musician, but he's also a YouTuber. And they had this half hour conversation where Misha, the dude from Periphery, was talking about how a lot of metal musicians literally never get out of the stage in their career where you roll up to a venue it's you know 7 p.m your show's at nine you play till 11 o'clock midnight get your paycheck once the bar closes and then you have an eight hour drive to the next gig so like you're sleeping in shifts with your bandmates you're making basically just enough money to survive And there are people out there who love to play music so much that that is the kind of life they want to live. But for a lot of people who are just like love shredding in their bedroom, they're in a band for fun, maybe they're playing like gigs around their town. That's a far cry from being a touring musician at a lower level where that's what you got to do to make your money. Yeah, like you you only imagine the most fun things and then assume that's the career at first. But there's just so much... There's going to be parts of every career that are just horribly grueling. Mm-hmm. 
Unless there's a perfect one I haven't thought of yet, in which case I'll work on it. If there's a perfect career, let's switch to it. Yeah, I have, I don't know what it is yet. I haven't thought about it too hard. You know, or even being a chef. Like, we have a good friend who is a fantastic cook, but has always said, I will never go to culinary school. I will never become a chef because I don't want to kill my love for cooking. And there's, there's going to be people out there. For every example I've given here, there's going to be people out there who are more than willing to take the 12-hour practice days playing Overwatch. They're more than willing to test video games. They're more than willing to drive the van to Omaha, Nebraska for that next gig because they love it that much. But it's a consideration I think a lot of people do not make. And, I, you know, I love to play music, but I love to end my workday by just picking up my guitar in my living room, turning on the amp, and just doing whatever I want. I don't think I would love being like, crap, I need to drive from Denver to Cheyenne, Wyoming tonight, show up at a gig, and then, uh, you know, tomorrow I need to be in Bozeman or something. Yeah, well, I mean, I think w w one of the things that we might love about it is I love playing piano, but one other thing I love is that when I don't feel like playing piano, I stop. And I love that mm -hmm. because if you make it a job, it doesn't matter if you're tired <laughs> today. You just you keep playing. I, I love switching to something else and saying, I think I'm going to go for a walk now. Not, yep. I better keep playing or else my whole career is going to come crashing down around me. Mm -hmm. And everything's horrible and my songs aren't good enough. And... and that's a big thing too. Like when you take, especially art and you make it your career, so much of yourself is bound up in that. And then if something goes wrong, it's very tough to separate yourself from the work yeah it's so difficult i mean i feel it if i put out a youtube video and i get one bad comment like that'll stick with me yeah you're working on you something know? inherently subjective yeah but your reward is pretty objective you get you know money and a career and things and then eventually it feels like your literal worth mm -hmm. is now within something that other people subjectively judge yeah and that's not always great yeah i put out that video with uh matt diavella and in those like there's like 500 comments on that video and 498 of them are overly positive everyone's just like top 10 anime crossovers and there's like one comment uh -oh. someone's just like i don't like thomas he looks shady and like for the most part i just think it's a funny comment because i'm like you're oh, right yeah, i'm pretty shady he's very shady i don't <laughs> pretty i wouldn't shady character i wouldn't trust him <laughs> but like there was a part of my brain that just latched onto the negativity and all 499 of the other positive comments, they weren't enough to yeah, you make brush me them right off, that, right? He's right? <laughs> like, oh yeah, people are nice. What? I'm shady. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know? So you, you put yourself into your creations and if somebody takes a dump on them, it, it sucks. And it's yeah. very difficult to not think about it. Well, and, and usually creators are already harsh enough on themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I'm doing something, if I'm feeling negatively about something I'm working on artistically, if somebody comments compliments it, Usually, I'll just write that off and be like, they don't know what they're talking about. I've looked into it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's the worst. Trust me, it's a good they just fire. don't. They just don't know better. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I'll just discount everything positive because, like, my body wants to verify that I am indeed terrible. <laughs> I don't. I refuse to believe I'm good. Yeah, I refuse. Okay, so I want to talk about just a few of the things that may be a reason to not let your hobby become your career. First one, and you know all about this one, uh, the overjustification effect. Yep. And you actually know about this, so I'll, I'll let you explain it. I think it's to one of the, the audience. One of the main big things that I learned about in college at some point. 
But it's just one big concept that sticks out in my head a lot, just where uh, basically you have some things that you're intrinsically motivated to do. Mm-hmm. I play piano because it rewards me internally. I feel good about it, yeah. and I like it for its own sake. But then you got the other things with the extrinsic motivators like money or attention or fame or something. And it, if you if you do something that used to intrinsically motivate you long enough for an extrinsic motivator like money, eventually you'll kind of confuse the two and start doing it almost exclusively for the money. The, the problem yeah. there is like, so I love taking photos now, and I'll go out and waste a few hours taking photos for mm-hmm. just me. It's not a waste in that case. But if I make a bunch of money for it for several years, and then at some point, you know, somebody I meet's just like, hey, I got this cool idea for a photo. And I'll be like, no, but this is my living, though. You're going to have to pay me a whole bunch of money or I'm not going to do it. Like, even yeah. if I would have loved to do it and it'd be a great idea, now it's my career. I can't play games. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's worth money. Why would I do it if I'm not also getting paid? And it's it's not like it's a a conscious, logical business decision. It's more that the extrinsic motivators have literally killed your intrinsic motivation. Yeah, you, you don't even like remember doing it for fun because you do it for money now and that's what you do it for. Yeah. You get excited when the paycheck comes in now. And th- this is a, a psychological effect that doesn't just, um, it's not just limited to money, followers. It's limited to all extrinsic motivators. So a really great small example that I think of is the difference between uh, a game like Breath of the Wild and a game like Assassin's Creed, especially some of the later ones. Because in Breath of the Wild, you explore because you're curious. That's the only reason to explore. The game gives you one objective at the beginning, and then, like, I guess there's a, a few big ones. But there's, there's like, no reason to go to most parts of the map. Yeah. You do, except for, oh, hey, what's over there? Oh, hey, what's, this, what's over this part of the map? I'm just going to go to it. You know, whereas Assassin's Creed, you have like this this map full of icons. And it's like, well, you got to take over this base to level up. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to t- take on this base. The guards are rated this. You know, it just starts to feel like you're checking off boxes. And you get points and experience and all these things for going and doing these things. Whereas in Breath of the Wild, it's pure intrinsic joy of exploration. That's all it is. So even in game design, when you have a lot of these extrinsic motivators, you can sometimes kill the reason like the internal reason for enjoying the game yeah Uh, and that that goes into the real life too so it's something to think about like the moment you start taking these external rewards for something you run the risk of no longer enjoying it for its own sake and it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna you're gonna like hate it yeah but some of the original drive isn't gonna i mean i think that even applies to this you know when we were first we first doing the podcast didn't have like Mm -hmm. sponsors or anything and then like we were just doing it because it felt cool, and I was running my blog and everything. Yeah. And now, while we are still doing it, it would feel a little wrong to not figure out how it fits into the larger business. Yeah, it would. You know, it would just it wouldn't feel like it makes sense anymore. Once it gets to the point that it starts providing these external things, it's like, well, why would I? Why would I not want those to come now? Right. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's a, a a light switch thing where it's like the moment you take money, boom, now you hate it and you hate yourself and life is awful. Yeah. It's not like that. You get hit but by lightning. it does start to creep in there, you know? And, like, we, we, we wouldn't always choose to make a podcast, a, a podcast episode just based on what we wanted to do at this point. 
Yeah. For now, at this point, it's like there's a schedule, there are sponsors. Like that's part of the reason as to why we do it on the schedule that we do it on. Yeah. It's not like every two weeks we're like, oh my God, I'm burning to talk about uh, uh, minimalism or something like that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But we do. Which is funny because I used to do that. I woke up at 4 a.m. and wrote an article because I couldn't get it out of my head once. Yeah. But I'm not doing that. I was intrinsically motivated at that time, right? Yeah. And I will say like once we got into that conversation, I really enjoyed myself. But it's like at the beginning, there are external reasons for doing it. And I don't know. I feel like that's that's tearing the veil that people want. Like they don't want to see how the sausage is made a little bit. But that's just. Well, it's okay because we cut back specifically yes. to kind of fight that. So yep. we explicitly cut back so that we would be more motivated to talk about the fewer topics that we chose. Mm-hmm. So you got to you gotta uh, balance it. But then you're sacrificing a little bit of extrinsic reward. It's true. To do so. Or, or, or in our case, like half of it (laughs) yeah yeah so that that for most people that becomes a really hard call to make you can't just be like okay okay i love being a professional chef but i kind of want to get some of that that spice back you know maybe Mm -hmm. i'll cut half of my salary like that doesn't most people aren't just going to be able to cut their thing in half so that they can exactly try to balance extrinsic and intrinsic motivators now one thing i want to mention here is um the over justification effect isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's not like, oh, I'm now being externally rewarded for creating content. So now I'm just, I, I have no intrinsic motivation to do anything and I'm depressed all the time. No, I've just realized that my career has a lot of extrinsic motivators. My livelihood and several other people's livelihoods are dependent on it now. So my intrinsic motivation is often directed to other things like playing music or like mountain biking or yeah. like hanging out with my friends or um, whatever other project I'm interested in at the time. But I have to realize, like, that's I, there are no rewards for that, so that's kind of a reason for why I'm so intrinsically motivated to do those. And if I were to be like, oh, well, hey, I like music now, maybe I should go be a professional musician, it's very likely that the overjustification effect would creep in over there, and I would have to find another outlet. Well, some, something's got to not feel like work. Yes, when you clock exactly. When you clock out, what do you do? If everything is you clocked in, mm-hmm. nothing will feel like a break. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I don't know what, uh, like, Panic of the Disco, like, what, is, what does he do in his off hours? Maybe he does just keep making music, but... Keeps calm at a different dance place. Maybe he does. <laughs> keep calm That's... at the uh, the tango. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't That's my to, new band. I'm not out at the clubs. So I'm not cool enough. Meditate at the tango. Well, that's a weird place to meditate. I'm, that's going to be a song. Therefore, it must be intrinsically motivated mm-hmm. because I don't know why else you're doing it. I'm actually paying people to meditate at tangos. That's what it is. All right. I just have so much money now that I pay for weird things that don't actually give me any value. Just go. What kind of weird things do you think Jeff Bezos pays for? Just just because. It's just like, today I would like to see 32 clowns climb into that car and drive it into the building. (laughs) Make it happen. (laughs) Make it happen. Make it so. How much will it cost? (laughs) I don't care how much it will cost. Just make it happen. Make it fit. Make them fit. (laughs) okay this week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at skillshare which is an excellent learning platform that can help you level up your skills and get a leg up on the competition in your career because they have over thirty thousand different classes in tons of different topic areas like graphic design business marketing data and analytics um animation like computer animation after effects all the stuff i was talking about in this episode they have a ton of great animation courses and 
a course from yours truly all about building a productivity system. And you know what? If Skillshare only had my course on it, I would still do ads for it. I, I mean, it's kind of why, or at least part of the reason why I, I put mean, my course on Skillshare. That would make sense. It makes it very easy for me to sell Skillshare. But in addition to my course, there's 30,000 other courses, many of which are very, very high quality and can, again, level up your skills very quickly, not least of which because their classes are built on the principle of active learning, which we talk about all the time on this podcast. Every single course on Skillshare has an example project that you can use to start to sink your teeth into the skill that you're learning very, very quickly. And the other great thing about Skillshare is that their courses are relatively short. Most courses on Skillshare are about an hour, 90 minutes. And what I love about that is if you have a core skill set, let's say like you're a programmer, right? You could go on Skillshare and you could use their programming courses to level up your core skill set, become a better programmer. But because you get access to that entire library for honestly very inexpensive monthly price, you could go take, let's say, like a principles of animation class. And then you could make better CSS animations that would make you a better front end designer. But you might actually dabble in After Effects a little bit and gain an extra skill. And let's say you're going to apply to a startup that needs somebody who can wear lots of hats. Well, you've just put another skill under your belt without a whole lot of time investment and without having to buy another expensive course. Like you just have it. So it's a pretty great platform. Now, every time I do an ad for Skillshare, I like to recommend a specific class. And this month, I'm going to recommend a class that your fiance has actually taken. What? Yeah, because uh, Jessica Hish. Yep. One of one of the top designers out there. Good old Jay Hish. Top of the game. Yeah, she's got a she's got a class called Logo Type Masterclass. So if you want to learn how to make logos, if you want to learn how to do lettering, anything like that, which could again help you become a freelance graphic designer, maybe even lead to a career, then that would be an excellent course to start with. And the best thing about Skillshare is that you can get a two-month free trial by going over to Skillshare.com slash geek and signing up. Once again, by going over to Skillshare.com slash geek, you get a two-month completely free unlimited trial. And there's a heck of a lot you can learn in two months. Huge thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode and being a big supporter of our show. And another big thanks goes out to our other sponsor this week, Brilliant. Brilliant is a problem-solving website and app that takes an incredibly hands-on approach to teaching you math, science, and computer science. They have a course library with more than 50 different courses on tons of different topics, including calculus, geometry, even algebra, statistics for math, science courses like classical mechanics and gravitational physics, and lots of computer science courses as well, including their course on algorithm design and their course on computer memory. And they also have a Python programming course now too, which I wanted to mention because that's a pretty new one. But they also have another course that I want to recommend this month, which is their course on scientific thinking, which actually teaches you the basics of physics by solving puzzles. And that's the great thing about Brilliant. It is a great complement to watching educational videos because their entire curriculums throughout all their courses is built on going through logical sequences of bite-sized problems. And these problems are very challenging and you sometimes will get stuck on them, which is honestly a good thing because you become a better problem solver by getting stuck on tough problems. But because they're bite-sized, they aren't so complicated and so huge that you get overly frustrated. And the logical sequence and the small nature of the problems keeps your motivation high and it keeps you learning for a longer period of time, which means that you level up your skills in these areas a lot faster. 
So if you are an ambitious person who wants to learn more quickly, if you're a curious person, if you want to boost your problem solving skills, then head over to brilliant.org slash collegeinfogeek and sign up. And if you're one of the first 200 people to use that link and sign up, you're gonna get 20% off your annual premium subscription. Once again, brilliant.org slash collegeinfogeek. And another huge thanks goes out to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode and supporting our show. So let's get back into it. Uh, so next point, um, I want I, I kind of touched on this when we were talking about the examples, but there are big differences between hobbies and careers. Uh, one of them is scale, right? So if you love to cook and you love making dinners for yourself, you love making dinners for your significant other, uh, you even love like making Thanksgiving dinner when your family comes over. That's very different than banging out 500 to 600 meals in one night at a restaurant. Yeah. It's incredibly different. Uh, in fact, there's, there's a great character from Ratatouille, actually. You remember the character Colette? Um, the girl that... that uh, it would take time. That I've only seen that movie once. What's his name? What's the main character's name? Is it... Well, the rat's Remy, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Linguini. Dude. Yeah, Linguini's the dude. He's the dude. Okay. So he's the one who, you know, he dates Colette, and uh, she's... She's spoilers. a cook at the kitchen. Oh, spoilers for a movie from 2007. But yeah, she's like, you think cooking is a cute job like mommy in the kitchen? Well, mommy never had to face the dinner rush when the orders come flooding in and every dish is different and none are simple and all of them have different cooking times but must arrive at the customer's table exactly the right time, hot and perfect, every second counts and you cannot be mommy. You know. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> exactly, right? So cooking professionally is nothing like cooking at home. You don't get to take time. You don't get to lavish attention on the details. You don't get to make what you want. You know, you're just, I think I'm going to go home and make a, what is that, a, a clafoutille fraise? Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that a, yeah, some sort of I made. French pastry? That's what I made. It was good. No. Instead, like, oh, 16 people just came in from a Broadway show. They're all sitting at the same table. One wants steak. One wants fish. One wants tacos. By the way, they all have to come out at the exact same time. And you only have five burners. Yeah. How are you going to do that? You ever played Overcooked? Get ready. Yeah. It's like Overcooked, except for in real life. And you Hopefully can't with just less quit rats. after an hour. There probably are the same amount of rats. Let's be honest. Oh no, I don't want to know what goes on behind those doors. But yeah, it's so the, the the scale is very different, right? And when the scale gets up to that level, a lot of the enjoyment goes out of it, and you have to change how you do things to be efficient. That's very. My mom used to cook for a nursing home. She'd mm -hmm. make dinners for like two hundred people. She hated cooking. She just stopped. She was like, I don't want to cook fancy things at home we're gonna eat easy stuff at home yeah because i put all this work into this all day long mm -hmm. and i just don't care anymore yeah it's um, it's not as fun anymore in your off hours one of anna's friends used to work at restaurants and he's a fantastic cook but he's like i i don't really like to cook you know very rarely like once in a while i'll make an amazing meal and then it's back to hot pockets for like months because i'm just i'm so fed up oh uh, yes hot pockets don't want to do it anymore uh, yes, hot pocket. It's got everything you need, right? Well, it's got all the nutrients. It's got the hot right, right it's in got there. The pocket. It's all the nutrients. Yeah, everything you, you ever need. You just pop a multivitamin in through the outer shell mm -hmm. of the hot pocket, and then you eat it. You won't even know it's there, like a dog. That's <laughs> <laughs> you get all the vitamins. Now that's you need. health. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. So another thing, uh, when it's your hobby, you are the boss. So if you want to go take pictures, you get to decide when you do it, where you're going to go, what you're going to photograph, how many you're going to take. It's up to you. When it's your profession, your customer is the boss. So you're going to show up here at this wedding 
on Saturday and take pictures of me and all my guests for eight hours because I'm paying you for it. Yeah. Like, that's a different thing, you know, and you might be happy to do it, but the fact of the matter is that's very different than you just being like, I'm going to go to the gardens and photograph bees because that's what I want to do. Yeah, well, and you might be happy to do it that time, Mm -hmm. but for basically any interest or thing I've ever done in my life, there are periods where I'm like, whoa, this is amazing, and then I'll get bored of it for a while, and I'll just leave it alone. I mean, even when we had the Da Vinci episode, he just hated painting sometimes, Mm -hmm. and it was unfortunate that people had already agreed to him that he would do things and he just abandoned them but then he would he would move yes. on to a different thing but not everybody has a secondary career they can just throw in and start doing military engineering like, not everyone has like what was it the, the king of france or something was yeah at some him from... at some point he did get some pretty good noble help <laughs> to get past those responsibilities but not everybody can get away with, from it and then you're like i'm bored of this well yeah. too bad you think you need a break you don't get one because your bills don't take a break mm-hmm. yeah i mean great example here I can't stop making YouTube videos. And yeah, I mean, that would be absurd. I, I can't. could, but if I stopped, I would have to let people go. You know, and I don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, there would there would be tremendous consequences. Yep. Basically, if we tried to just just cut a bunch of stuff back, take take the business on hold for a couple of months, that's just that's going to do a lot of damage. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You can't just do it whenever you want. But I quit Pauli Glot just because I was like, I'm not really into it anymore. Yeah. And my hands need really... to heal. I just snapped my fingers and it was done. And were there any consequences? Me feeling guilty. That's about it. But that's there were no real yeah, world. Yeah, no, nothing you know? like... You didn't have to fire anyone. No, you didn't, like, I lose, fired me. Lose your house or anything because it wasn't making your income. Yeah, but yeah, it, you know? it starts to rest on that and then you, you better love it every day because mm-hmm. if not, you just got to do it anyway. No, I've tried to do things intelligently, so I've built up like a decent runway. So if I had to take a break, like say I got really sick or something, I, I would be able to let everyone continue working and hopefully find a way to scale things up in another area to deal with that. But um, a lot of people, like a lot of businesses are lower margin, especially like say you're you're a wedding photographer and you got to have help because you do the photos, someone else does the videos. Mm. Well, you're probably not banking up you know, six months worth of, oh, I'm just going to stop doing photos, but I can still pay you with that kind of a business. Yeah. So that's a big consideration. Um, Now, one kind of counterpoint I do want to bring into this is that as you get further into your career, if you're really talented, uh, if you make the right connections, then you start to build up more kind of career capital, more prestige, and you do have more say-so in what you do. Great example. And what's the guy's name? Uh, Paul Rand. So back in the 80s, I believe, um, Paul Rand was like the guy you go to for a corporate logo, like one of the most famous designers of all time. Uh, I think he did the IBM logo, like a bunch of other ones. So Steve Jobs goes to Paul Rand and says, I want you to design a logo for Next, which is that company that he made before coming back to Apple. Um, So Paul Rand charged Steve Jobs $100,000 for that logo. And Steve Jobs was like, you know, I want you to you know, maybe do five or six. We'll see if we like it. And Paul Rand said, no, I will solve your problem for you and you will pay me. You don't have to use the solutions. If you want other options, you go talk to other people, but you'll still pay me. Like that's, that's what you can say when you're at that point in your career. Yeah, I don't you think know? I could. I could go. I've never even done any like, 
people photography, I don't mm-hmm. think I could walk up to a big expensive wedding party and say, I'm going to do this. <laughs> Give me all your money. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're going to pay me $10,000. I will take whatever photos I want. Yeah. You know, but even, even then, like, so he has a lot of career capital, but he still had to come up with a logo that was befitting of his uh, reputation. And that took into consideration <laughs> no pressure. the company and everything, right? Except for all the it's pressure. A lot of pressure. It's actually all the pressure. You know, I, I'm, that's the thing. Like when you're at the top, only only place you can go is down. Yeah, you have, you have much farther to fall. So the most respected designer in the world, that's like all the pressure. So even with all that freedom where you can <laughs> say, okay, well, I am going to take a break for six months. When you come back, you better be at the top of your game or they're going to be like, oh, they fell off after their break. We won't hire them yeah. anymore. Now you've ruined everything by taking that break. You you weren't sharp. Well, that, so that's a huge consideration. That's scary. YouTube, right? So as a YouTuber... My uh, my big worry, if I were to take a break, is not that I wouldn't have enough money to pay the team for a while. Like, I could pay the team for a few more months, even if we had no income coming in. But if I take a break for, like, six months and then I come back, will the algorithm have passed me up? Will yeah. it have decided, like, you oh, your now? channel's dead. We're just going to start promoting other people's stuff. And, you know, it's not gonna you're not going to get zero views, but it might be a significant slash in views. And that would feel pretty crappy. Yeah, it's scary. So even if you had that freedom to take a break, you're just like, I can't. I can't mm-hmm. take a break. Something might happen. You know, but let's say like I'm a professional UI designer. And that's my job. And I make silly YouTube videos for fun. I don't really care how many views it gets. It might be fun to see, but it's not my job. Yeah. So it's a big, con- sorry, a big consideration. Um, a few other things. So there's the survivor bias. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there's this there's this graphic out there where there's like two miners, uh, like like miners with pickaxes digging tunnels, and there's like a wall here, right? And there's a ton of jewels, and one miner has like quit right before he broke through and is dejected and walking away, and there's another one that's like hammering through it, and he's gonna get to it, and just like never give up. And that graphic has always struck me as a little bit disingenuous because yeah the the jewels might be you know just a few more pickaxe swings away but they also just might not be there you know you might be mining in an area where there are literally no jewels and you're just going to waste your life mining away dirt for nothing yeah it's equally likely you know and so this this goes back to that question of like when when is it correct or like the time to quit um, and we have that whole episode on the dip. People should go listen to that because that, that's a tough question and with a lot of considerations. But the whole like just keep moving, just keep doing it, like, it's it's good, it's motivating, but it's a platitude that has uh, a downside sometimes. Yeah. Um, so what I want to talk about here is survivorship bias, right? All the people who are successful and who are telling you just persevere, just keep going, just keep doing it, they are successful so you listen to them, but you never really listen to the people who failed. Like, yeah, I invested literally every last drop of my money into this and it failed. And now I'm bankrupt. We don't listen to those people, but I mean, they, they kept persevering as well. Yeah. It's just whatever they were persevering and didn't pan out. So, you know, I, I could go and try to be a professional musician and you know what? I think that if I really put my mind to it, I could probably make a living as a musician. I believe that, but it could not pan out. Yeah. You know, there are a lot, like I worked really hard to get to where I am, but there are a lot of stages where luck played a part. 
I met this person. I met this person. Like this happened. This event happened to be going on and I was able to go to it. Like those inflection points mattered. And it's entirely possible that I'd go off, try to be a musician and those just wouldn't happen. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't make enough money. And it's like, well, crap, I got to pay my bills. What am I going to do? So you just, you just don't know. Um, now I think there's a lot of value to persevering and keeping at something for quite a long time, but I think it bears mentioning that the people who are saying that are often the people who are survivors. Yeah. The statistical sample is not really indicative of anything. Mm -hmm. And also you couldn't even, so if you go out there and you start failing at the thing and it's not working for you, you could, you could ask one of those same, very, very same people, Hey, wait, what what do I do? And they're just going to tell you the same thing they already said, because they don't, they know what they did Yep. and it worked for them. And that's, well, that's all they know because it worked for them. They might have a little bit of other knowledge because they're observant, but but that yeah they, they can't might know they can't tell thing. you that something specifically will work for you. Yeah, their all of their knowledge of victory comes from what they learned personally, and then if they've seen other people around them in the industry, mm -hmm. but maybe they haven't watched a bunch of people who didn't succeed, and therefore they can't give examples of what caused people to fail. Yeah, their statistical sample might not be great either. If you're surrounded by nothing but successful people, exactly. You know, and survivorship bias can lead us to the wrong conclusions too. Um, for example, there was this mathematician, I believe his name is Abraham Wald, uh, who back in, I think this was in the World War II, was trying to help the military improve their planes. And so they noticed, you know, all these planes would come back and they're riddled with bullet holes. And they're like, huh, you know, there's bullet holes everywhere except for on the engine block so it looks like the enemy fighters are firing at different parts of the plane other than the engine block so what we should do is we should take armoring away from the engine and put it on other parts of the plane where we're seeing all these bullet holes and that'll make our planes more durable and then abraham wald realizes well if the plane gets shot in the engine it's not coming back for us to observe so his big breakthrough was the planes that didn't come back are the ones that we need to consider. And this is kind of like where the whole term survivorship bias comes from. Like if we're just looking at the planes we got, we're not seeing the whole picture. And in fact, that decision, like if they would have made that decision to take armor away from the engine block and put it on other parts of the plane, they would have lost more planes. Yeah. You know, so it's funny, like the, the survivorship bias can lead us to make the absolute wrong decision sometimes. So just keep that in mind when you're listening to people who have made it, because there are so yeah. many other people who didn't make it and they could probably offer a different perspective. But, you know, somebody who failed at becoming a professional musician is probably not spending a whole lot of their time sharing what they did to try to be a professional musician. And not a whole lot of people are going to listen to them because they failed. Yeah, and that and that like includes us to some degree. There are some context of a certain types of failures mm -hmm. that maybe I've never even considered before, and that anything that I believe currently maybe wouldn't fit in that situation. I won't know until somebody brings that specific situation to my attention. Yeah, like what if our mascot was like a gopher and everyone just hated it? Or what if they loved it? Or if they loved it? What if it was the best know. mascot? Yeah, maybe we are actually the failures. Like the llama makes us like a failure, and we begin like millions of page views i don't know gopher. we have no idea if the gopher would have been a better choice never know someone's gonna have to go build a business exactly like ours with a gopher mascot i'll get the pixel gopher all right <laughs> we'll a b test every i'll page. work on that every page load of switches yeah, i'm gonna a b test mascot or 
Something tells me we're not really going to get any useful stats <laughs> from that. More people sign up for our email list when there's a gopher. Oh, what? So then then what? I can write like some big internet marketing case study for some blog being like, here's how I increased my newsletter signups by 300%. Yeah. The case by, for smaller mammals. By my buttons purple. I think that was that was an article I read uh, back in the day. It was like, yeah, I just changed the color of my buttons to purple and I got more email signups. And I'm like, oh, so... So the way you so build a successful business is by changing the specifically colors the of your, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I think a lot of people get trapped in stuff like that. They're just like, well, this, this influencer says that I need to, uh, you know, AB test the colors of buttons on my website. It's like, yeah, that might make a dent, but what if you took that time and made better content? Yeah. Like how much better of a return would you get doing that instead of fiddling around with button colors and gradients? We're like, oh, I, gotta, I just got to write the perfect about page on my website. Like, that's why I'm not a millionaire because my about page isn't perfect. I need, you know, more bullet lists, some more images. Got to make it a little better. Yeah, just because the people that you know that are successful, they've got a great about page. They do. That's probably it. That's true. And so they've got a great about page. That's why they're successful. All correlations equal causation. Well, there's at least a know. correlation between correlation and causation. And I'm pretty sure that indicates causation. Oh, so, so yeah, yeah. Correlation does not equal causation, but a correlation of a correlation to causation equals causation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's gotta be. That's exactly what it is. It makes perfect sense. Two wrongs plus another wrong make a left, and a left can be right sometimes. And if you turn the glass shoes before the tables are flipped, then loose lips sink. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. All right. But see, this kind of nonsense is how you succeed. <laughs> Survivorship bias. That's true. Look, this is what we needed to do to be making, successful. We're making good money in this podcast, and we're it, spouting nonsense. It was this Therefore, part that did it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. All right. Let's talk about the income question. So uh, for a lot of like passions out there, making an income is hard, um, and making enough to save for retirement, to buy a home, to buy a car, to have Pay kids, off your student loans that you took loans. out to major in this passion. Yeah, that's even harder. So here's the thing. Like this, this I, I see a lot of people, especially in the arts, saying it's not fair. It's not fair that I have to work much harder than somebody majoring in accounting, but I, I make less afterwards. Like I'm up all night. I'm working on this project. Uh, my major is so competitive. You know, there's so many great designers. Like I'm lucky just to get a job. It's not fair because, you know, Billy over there can major in accounting and he gets a $50,000 a year job right out of college, almost not even trying. Like, it's it's not fair. It's supply and demand. So here's the thing. There are only so many professional video game streamers, professional musicians, world-class chefs that the world can support, right? And this is due to the superstar effect. Um, with mass media, more people, like everyone gets more choices for who to pay attention to. Like back in the 1800s, you know, you were lucky if you lived in a town. So like the best singer that you had access to is probably like Sally down the street. Now the best singer you have access to is whoever you think the best singer in the world is. It's Lady Gaga. It's Lady Gaga, right? It's she's, gotta be. She's the best singer you have access to. You know, or in my case, it would probably be Casey Crescenzo from the deer hunter, but like, I don't know where he lives, but I can access his stuff wherever I am. So, not everyone can be a famous musician because people only have so much attention that they're going to allocate and they're going to allocate it to the people who are at the top, which is a very small group of people. 
Same with professional athletes. That's why they get paid so much because it's a lot of attention being funneled towards a single source. You know, I, I saw this uh, this video where there was a there was a Fortnite World Cup, and 16 year old kid wins it, wins three million dollars, and all these very out of touch news anchors on Fox News are just like they're laughing and making fun of this kid, being like, "Well, he made three million dollars for playing video games." I'm like, well, number one, you're probably making like what 60k, so I, I smell I smell a little jealousy there. Uh, but two, it's all attention. How many people are watching this Fortnite thing? Well, when the replay came out, it was 10 million views in two days. Yeah, you know, you, you compare that to the tennis, like Wimbledon. I don't know if it's like the World Cup or whatever it is, like the the biggest event in tennis, where I think the prize was around two and a half million dollars. It was three million viewers. So if anything, this Fortnite kid should be winning more than $3 million. But then again, like, you know, every kid, want, every kid out there wants to be a pro Fortnite player and make $3 million. You're not going to because number one, like the cool thing about esports is it's one of the purest forms of competition provided you can afford the console or the computer to play it on. But there's really no agents or talent scouts that are blocking you or that you have to get lucky to see. Like if you are the best Fortnite player, you're going to make it to the top. If you're the best Overwatch player, there's a ranking system. You will climb up it. You will get to the top. If you're not, you won't. So it's pure competition. Uh, on the flip side, though, every business needs accountants. Every yeah. business needs a marketing guy. Every business needs an IT guy. And like all the time. They need that all the time. All the time. They right? need rebranding once every five to 10 years, but they mm -hmm. need an IT guy every day. And so the biggest thing is like a professional musician can provide musical enjoyment to an infinite amount of people. If I'm Panic at the Disco, like I can provide music to everyone in the world. It doesn't require me to put in any extra work. I put my music on Spotify. Anybody who has access to Spotify can listen to that. If I'm an IT guy, I cannot take my talents and make them available to everyone in the world. Now, I could build software and make that available to everyone in the world, which is why the people who build the best software are so well paid. But if my job is imaging computers, I can image, what, like 30 computers in a day, maybe. So how many computers are there in the world? Probably billions. I can only service a very small portion. But luckily... There are lots of businesses out there who really need that service. So they're willing to pay a pretty reasonable amount. And they're, and the, the global economy is willing to hire a pretty large number of people to get paid that pretty reasonable amount. Yeah. It's just supply and demand. Uh, and in the arts, that's just not how it works. You know? Yeah. I'm like, is it fair? I don't know. Probably not. Nothing's fair. Do you listen to every Spotify artist equally so that you're fair to every single Spotify artist in the world? Yeah. Probably not. I bet you listen to the same art. I listen to like the same artists, the same, even hundred artists, that still leaves so many artists that I'm completely ignoring, no matter how much hard work they put into it. Yeah. You listen to my brother? Is he on Spotify? He is on Spotify. I actually didn't know that. You listen to my song on Spotify? Nope. You're taking money out of my pocket. It's not fair, Martin. Yeah. I could have one cent Yeah, I'm not more. being I'm not being fair with my listens. Yeah, and and like, it's just, it's not fair. Supply and demand can't be fair. It's not yeah. going to be. What does fair mean? I don't know. It's like, is it fair for you to choose a career in the arts and expect success? Like, is that fair? Well, you're I don't picking. Know. You're picking something harder. 
I think what's not fair is that we have all this messaging out there telling you that regardless of what career path you choose, your chances of success are the same as long as you work hard. That's just not true. That's, that's where they, <laughs> that's where the problem where it's like, I thought this was going to be fair really comes in is because there's a lot of people out there basically deluding you into believing that everything has an equal chance of everything. Yeah. You should be able to take on a harder chance knowing it's a harder chance and accepting that cost. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I honestly think that most people who get into the arts, they do understand that. Yeah. Or they eventually come to understand it. Oh, yeah. Even, if you, even if you don't as like a freshman, like you yeah. figure it out. You will eventually figure it out. But um, I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily make that connection that it is a question of supply and demand. And that is why an NBA player makes millions of dollars and, uh, you know, an accountant makes 50000 or 40000 or whatever it is. And it's also why... You know, unfortunately, teachers don't make that much money because if, when we really think about it, a teacher is not fulfilling a role that is needed by a business with a profit motive. A teacher is fulfilling a role that is societally needed, but it is set up by a government. And, you know, we can get into a huge question of economics here. When you have a business, like the economic incentives and the goals are very, they're very close to home, right? And if I plug you into a role as uh, as a sales guy, well, your value is is so closely linked to, to the profit that the business is making. So I'll pay you on commission. You can make a ton of money because like your value is so linked. But uh, you've been an IT guy, right? Yeah. And you've been a back end IT guy. So like you, oh, yeah. you were you were managing servers. So I would imagine that you have at least a little bit of firsthand experience with uh, the problem that a lot of IT guys face, where they are performing a mission critical function, but management does not see them as creating value. Well, I mean, I had to, I had to fill out these little timesheet things and be very specific mm-hmm. with what I did, you know. And there was like billable or non-billable, and I was like, yeah, almost everything I do is non-billable. <laughs> I'm fixing and preventing problems, and this makes me look and feel bad, but yeah. I know I'm doing the correct job. Exactly. So it's just it's tougher to associate. How much money am I really making the business if mostly what I'm doing is protecting it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't know how to. I don't know how to do that math really. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard not obvious. to justify your value to management because they are more interested are more interested in saying like, oh, hey, Tim sold six cars this month. We made thirty thousand commission off that. Boom, good on you, Tim. What'd you do? Oh, you found a bug in the Linux terminal core and fixed it. And, you know, you probably saved us from getting hacked and having our entire business dis- destroyed. Yeah, but until they it's hacked, you don't know how much that's actually worth. Exactly. When right? it's hacked, you'll know. You'll be like, I wish I would have paid you this much to fix that. This but. is this is actually, I think this is one of the areas in life where it's really like things are really not fair. There are jobs out there where uh, things are either like base level status quo or good, in which case they get positive feedback, right? Our job is a very good a very good example of that. If we put out something crappy, we're gonna get bad comments, right? But if we put out something that's just like base level mediocre, it probably just won't get a whole lot of attention. But no one's gonna berate me for it. And if we put out put out something good, like we do a good job, people are delighted because their expectations are exceeded. But there are jobs like IT where it's very difficult to exceed expectations. Because you're just working <laughs> yeah. hard enough to keep everything from not bursting into flames. So either you get no feedback and no appreciation or something breaks, sometimes not even your fault, and then you just get berated. 
Yeah, most of your job is to make people not realize that your job was needed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so right? you're either so invisible or people sell. are mad. And like, I think that's one of the most unfair things in life, or at least when it comes to jobs. Like, there's just certain jobs where either no one notices or they're pissed at you. There's no, there's no like good job. You know, this was great. I'm delighted. Well, well yeah, like just... name, name like I can't name a celebrity plumber right now, but nope. people are gonna be mad oh, with their plumbing name, stops I can working. Name a couple. Yeah. <laughs> are they brothers? <laughs> they, might, they might be brothers. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that, that's a big thing, right? And uh, you know, you take that that issue with management not having enough of a connection to what you're doing as an IT guy and you blow that up to a nationwide scale, that's the problem with teachers, right? Teachers provide an immense amount of value, but that value isn't often realized in an economic sense. That value is not realized until like, you know, 10, 20 years down the road when the kids they're teaching go on to contribute to the GDP of the nation. Yeah, now that's pretty hard to... It's very, <laughs> to very tough, Cause and effect takes right? a little bit. So that one little kid might be like, you, you changed my life, you're an amazing teacher, but the people making the decisions on how much the teacher's going to make, the people in like the state senate, municipal government, all that, they're not those kids. Yeah, they all they know. see is, we have this budget, and it doesn't look like this teacher's a rock star who's like, you know, selling 5,000 cars right now, so we're going to pay him whatever we pay him. And it's unfortunate, but that's just how it works. People have to be closely yeah. connected to the profit to be able to allocate more value to what creates the profit. Otherwise, they're just emotionally not invested or they can't make the logical decision. So yeah, really, we should be paying like, teachers way more. Emotionally, but, not, almost none of this feels fair. It's just the system right. that we have to try to like find our way through anyway. Yeah, exactly. And there's um, there's <laughs> this this is this is where the discussion goes into really really off the rails because there's going to be people who are like well this is the problem inherent in capitalism well yeah you know but what? i'm, I'm not going to be able be. to stop that tomorrow so in you know in the meantime yeah. i'm i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna keep trying to function <laughs> yeah this is where it really derails. within you know it, i guess this is like a, a good argument for uh universal basic income because again there are jobs out there where it's like super easy to justify mm. a pay rise and there are jobs out there equally valuable harder to justify a pay rise well, sim similarly, if we didn't let, um, if we hadn't have done the things that allowed university costs to skyrocket, mm -hmm. then people wouldn't be so mad when they go to take a major in their passion and they can never pay that off ever. Yeah. Well, you know, because that's... then then you turn your passion into a burden. You're like, I, exactly. I loved this, but now I feel trapped by the thing that I loved because mm -hmm. I could never pay this off. That's not really fair. Yeah. You know? That's literally the next point on my list here is the student debt question. That's why I didn't major in French because what was the French degree going to do for me that speaking French wouldn't do for me? And I was like, well, I'm good at computers. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if I love them, but I am good at them and it's fulfilling when I do something good with them. Yeah. So this, this major pays off all the money that I'm blowing to come here to learn French. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a big thing. Like if, it's a if strategic you're decision, basically. Choosing to follow your passion in a way that does not incur any huge expense. Like, I'm gonna go be in a band with my friends. We're gonna tour. We're gonna play venues. We're just gonna live off of what we make, which is exactly what my cousin did. That's very different than saying, I'm going to music school. I'm yeah. gonna go study at a conservatory. I'm going to pay $50,000 a year to go to this school. I'm gonna graduate with like 200K in debt. 
and I'm going to be a professional musician. Yeah, I hope you're top that's, tier and you're never bored. Yeah, you need you know, to be... That's really difficult. You need to be top of the game to make that pay off. Even being a doctor. Like, being a doctor is a different equation, but still, you can go look up charts. There are uh, there are charts out there that show, like, if, if you go into X field of medicine, here's how long it takes for you to get a positive ROI. Because yeah. the education is just so expensive. And yeah, you make great money as a doctor, depending on what field you go into, but it takes a long time. I think, uh, I think I've read articles about this. Um, there's like a problem with people not going into family practice. And it's because, well, part of the reason medical school is so expensive that why wouldn't you go into a specialty that pays way more? Why would you not go be an anesthesiologist making 300 K a year? Uh, you know, if you do that, you can pay off your student debt a lot faster than if you are yeah. a family practice doctor making maybe 100k. It just it makes more business sense. But again, that's another question or another thing where it's like it's not fair because now we don't have family practice doctors. Yeah, and what if their passion was to do the family practice, but they can't? A lot of them probably do want to do that. Yeah, they want right? to, do it, but they can't reasonably pay off the debt. Yeah, a lot of people would probably love to be like just your local family practice doctor who helps out in the community. They probably have like somebody like they look up to who did that. And now it's like, well, crap, it makes more economic sense for me to be like a specific, you know, anesthesiologist or something like that, or pediatrician or whatever it is. So the career is like, career is like a strategy choice. It's a strategic choice that you got to make. So again, and and I said this at the beginning, but I want to repeat it. This isn't me saying don't follow your passion. It's me saying make a calculated decision that is informed. Uh, And especially like when you go to college, when you take on debt to go get an education, that is a business decision. And if, if you're making the decision that, you know, I'm, I'm going to shell out a lot of money to do art, like you need to be aware that you're probably taking on significant burden and you're going into a career field where it's tough to make a living. Yeah. So. Now, this episode feels like a downer. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I just want It feels like clear. a downer because this is, this is the counterbalance to all of the just like not even considering anything positivity that you're going to hear from a lot of other things because with this information, you will think, is this really worth it to make it my major? Majoring in French wouldn't have been a good idea for me. Mm-hmm. That that wouldn't have made sense. I'm glad that I didn't. Strategically, it perfectly worked out. I like messing around with language anyway. Yeah. But somebody else may still think, yes, I want to take these risks. Yes, I want to take this cost and it will mm-hmm. be okay. That's perfectly fine. You just... Being surprised by the cost is really the biggest problem when you're yeah. like, wait, this isn't everything they promised? And you know how many how many people change their major? Yeah, I think I read a stat somewhere that was like you know sixty sixty six percent of all college uh, students change their major at least once, which is crazy, right? But it's also a great indication that what you think you want to do when you're eighteen is likely not what you really want to do when you're twenty five. I wanted this is honest to God truth. I wanted to sit in the basement of a corporation and be a systems admin. I wanted to have like 16 monitors and be working in terminals and be, you know, wiring up routers and servers. I wanted to do freaking corporate IT. I thought it sounded awesome. It sounded like beautifully complex and ordered and all these things. And then I went and did it and I was like, this sucks. Yeah. I do not want to do this. And wow, I kind of like speaking to a crowd. Like I get a rush when I speak publicly. That's not working with computers oh, wow, I get a rush when I, like, make this fun thing in Photoshop. I didn't think I had any artistic talent. In fact, I thought I was, like, specifically not an artist. But this actually looks pretty good. 
Oh, hey, it's actually really fun to edit this video together. Wow, I'm like discovering new things about myself. And I didn't have to go to art school to discover them. I just did them in my free time. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't even know if I would say, like, it's kind of like, follow your passion, but whether it's a career, that's a strategic choice. Yes. Do your passion. Do that. Have fun. But definitely don't automatically assume it needs to be the thing that pays your bills because that is yeah. a bad assumption. So here's my my uh, transition to coming out of, like, the grim dark of this episode, right? Um so a couple a couple of things, right? <laughs> we don't want people going to their next class like, oh no, was this the wrong choice? What have I done? Oh, no. <laughs> this, this is what? like a back to school episode too. I, yeah, I don't want to crush souls right now. <laughs> oh my God. I have to change my major. Passions like, are great. But this is the first day of class. I got to change it anyway. These two wackos on the internet. We got to lighten it up. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So, so two things here. Okay. So one. With many things, you can find a way to ease into it instead of being like, I really like music, go into a conservatory. You know, maybe that's a path for you, especially if your parents have a lot of money or something. Um, or what if I just got a job and then I played music in my free time and I'm like, all right, let me give myself a challenge. So I'm not going to dive into touring and never sleeping and get in the van or whatever, but I'm going to put on an album in two months. That's my after work project. If I can do that, and I still really enjoyed it, like it was hard, but I'm like, I'm proud of it. Like I want to keep making music. That is a data point. All right, maybe I should get a little bit more into this. Let's try, try doing some, uh, some gigs around the city. Let's try doing some freelance professional gigs. Like, okay, I can play the guitar and I, I've taught myself to read music. I'm going to like actually be a freelance guitar player who could sub in for like, let's, this, a band is missing a guitar player. I'll play. Oh, I still like that. Okay, now I'm starting to think maybe I could actually live a life a musician and I haven't had to invest like a career's worth of, en of energy and time and money into it. Yeah, and you've got a lot of data on mm -hmm. whether you're actually going to like, because you could have gone to your first coffee shop, did a little acoustic set and been like, this was the worst thing I've ever done in my yeah. life. <laughs> exactly. That would be unfortunate if you had already invested in the top tier guitar that does the best <laughs> stuff ever. Yeah, or yeah, all these people, like they buy all the things they need for a sport and like, well, I hate that sport. No, that's what my- Money down the drain. My photography uh, teacher was, he specifically was like, here's the thing about equipment is you should only get new equipment when you are running up against a wall that is only solvable by that equipment. Yep. It, if you're running into a creative block, that's not the equipment's fault. Mm -hmm. If you can't do photography at all, that's not the equipment's fault. But if you're finding that you can't get really close to that bear and you need a zoom lens, that's probably the equipment's fault. Yeah, don't get too close to the bear. Don't don't, don't bring your uh, don't bring your <laughs> wide lens to try to get a bear portrait because you're gonna get eaten by a bear. Unless well, hey, it's got enough resolution that you can crop in, then you're how safe. How good at fighting bears are we in this situation? Well, I've never been passionate like about some, fighting bears, so I'm like I've not put looked the camera into it up a lot. In the tree and like help Spider-Man fight that bear. I'm gonna get some sweet action shots. That's true. You know. And the we'll give you 200 bucks for them. <laughs> 200 bucks, but I spent like all day getting these. <laughs> Freelance photography, best thing in the world for a kid like you. <laughs> all right, the, the other thing. Um, you don't have to go out and get a soul-sucking corporate job just to fund your hobby and keep it a hobby. Like maybe do something adjacent to what you love to do, but that's a little more economically viable. So say you love art. Well, 
not a whole lot of people are paying for like paintings or straight up like illustrations, but more people are paying for logos, for type work, for UI design. Like, yeah. Well, we need you to build me a new UI for our website. All right. I love art. I can go learn Figma and I can learn UI design. It's not, you know, drawing space turtles all day, but it's still like I, I get to do design. So find something that has elements of what you love that cross over into like a more uh, lucrative territory. A couple more examples. If you like music, well, what if you became a mixing or a mastering engineer? Then bands come to you. They have you mix their work. You could also get into podcast You'd editing. You'd make a lot of good connections that way. That would yeah. probably jumpstart your music career right there, the connections. Mm -hmm. So this goes back to, remember I was talking about the uh, periphery guy? He was chatting with Ola England about the guys who mm. were like, they never make it out of the point in their career where they're yeah. they're traveling around. So he was saying like, you know, periphery was lucky. We got out of that. But, um, you know, we're in metal. There's only so high you can go in metal unless you're like Metallica. But like the kind of metal we play, like gent, progressive metal, there is a pretty low ceiling for fame in that genre. So even we are not going to be relying on our music for us to make a living. So the, the dude who produces their albums, he used to be in the band, he was the bassist, I believe, and now he's still the producer. He went and started a company where he sells software um, that has like drum samples. They're like really super high quality drum samples. So now like every progressive metal band in the game is now buying their software so they can use those drum samples. It's like, cool, so now you've built a software company essentially that's sustainable. And they're doing like, uh, you know, online songwriting classes and mixing classes. Um, they did a camp at one point where like people paid to go and like hang out with them and they did some lessons and stuff. They found ways to make money in music, but not through music. But they still get to be around, surrounded by the thing they love. Exactly. Right. Um, same thing my brother's doing. My brother is out in LA right now and he's not trying to make money off of his own music. He's trying to make connections He's got a producer friend and they're working on offering songwriting, artist development and mixing and mastering services to other artists. That's a much uh, surer and quicker path to financial stability. Um, same thing with my vocal coach. He is a musician, but he's also a vocal coach and a mastering engineer. It's much easier to make money doing those things than to put out your music to the world where again, you gotta be the best of the best because everyone's gonna focus their attention on the best of the best. Um, Writing, right? Say you love to write fantasy novels. You just love Sherlock X, Star-Lord, fantasy, fan fiction. Well, freelance writing. I haven't read that one. <laughs> freelance writing can pay the bills a lot quicker. You know, our, our, our head writer, Ransom, started out as a guest poster, then became a freelance writer, now is our head writer. And he probably is more interested in, like, literature because he majored in English, but there are fewer people paying for highbrow literature, but there are a lot of people paying for, you know, write me the best article on SAT prep. Yeah. I will gladly pay for that. Cause again, that connects to the profit my business makes and highbrow literature, unfortunately does not. Yeah. I don't think we need like a Charles Dickens breakdown. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not directly related. Yeah. But in all these cases, you're doing something that gives you elements of the thing you love. But it probably also keeps you at enough of a distance that you're still like excited to go work on the really, truly artistic stuff in your free time. Yeah. 
Like, I will still have a ton of fun, like, putting together a really stupid After Effects animation, you know? But that's not my job. I'm not an animator. Yeah, that's just, like, a dumb bonus that you're throwing on for mm-hmm. fun. Would I want to do that if I was a professional animator? I don't know. Not sure. So, yeah, that that is where we're going to end this, I think, unless you have anything else you want to add. Um, that's all I got. Follow your passion. You can do it. <laughs> No, but calculatedly, <laughs> calculate. <laughs> yeah, Cal- calculate just your do passion. It. Just do it, man. <laughs> yeah, everything we just said, uh, that's actually what a loser would say. Yeah, this was a filter. The people who yeah. ignore the helpful cautions that we yeah. have provided, they're the ones. If you're at the end of this episode, everything we just said was to get the weak will out <laughs> so you can rise to the top uh, because you're going to persevere. For anyone listening bruh. who comes from a culture that doesn't embrace sarcasm, this part is not true. <laughs> this is <laughs> No, but for real though, if you buy my $999 <laughs> course on super ultra affiliate marketing for art- for artists and highbrow literaturists, yeah. you'll make a million dollars. Yeah. Results not guaranteed. <laughs> Yay. Anyway, so yeah, that, that's going to wrap this episode up. Like I said, the point here is to provide like a little bit of a devil's advocate realism, like realist take on this. Yeah. Because we have so much follow your you passion can, noise out there. You'll be able to follow it without being disappointed by the realities that you find. Yeah. Now I have a book recommendation for people to follow up this episode. There's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Excellent read. And it is a very, very good uh, take on this exact question. Like, should you follow your passion? And he kind of gets more into, again, the economic factors, uh, talks a lot about career capital and what makes work fulfilling. So I would highly recommend going to read that. And have, did we ever do, we did a deep work breakdown. I don't know if we ever did it so good, they can't ignore you. I haven't read that. Maybe someday in the future we could do a breakdown of that I'll book. read it tomorrow. But... Yeah, I've I definitely talked about in the podcast before the the three qualities of work that uh, he kind of breaks down. It's like work is fulfilling when you have autonomy, when you have um, when you when you feel like it's doing something fulfilling. And then there's a third one. I can't remember the third one is at the top of my head right now. But it's like, do you feel in control? Do you feel like what you're doing makes an impact? And I can't remember the third one, but we could put it in the show notes. Um, so definitely go and read. So good they can't ignore you. I also have a video that's based off of it. I think oh, cool. I think it, it might be called like Don't Follow Your Passion or something like that. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, this is episode 273. So CIG slash two seven three is where you can go if you want to find those show notes. Otherwise, just regular old CIG podcast.com is where you can go to find ways to subscribe to this podcast. So if somebody mailed you a flash drive in a bottle. Or like a, a Walkman, like, you know, Sony Walkman. Oh. They, like, put one of our podcast episodes on a cassette tape, and you're listening to the cassette tape version of this. Well, I'm sorry, number one. But number two, you can go to CIGpodcast.com, and you can click the links to subscribe on Spotify, uh, iTunes, or I guess Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you want to listen. Uh, I've been listening on Spotify, actually, now. I think Spotify is going to take over the podcast game. Oh, man. You know, I think they are. Because it's so convenient. You listen to music. Oh, look. There's my podcast. Changing the game. And you can download your podcast on Spotify. And I think there's also a sleep timer. So it basically has everything I want at this point. It's pretty good. Plus, you can go listen 
to Affront to All That Is Good and Holy Number Two by Thomas Frank and give me one cent. That's what I want for Christmas. I, actually, this I year. think it's like a fourth of a cent per stream. Nice. You know, and if people don't listen to my song on Spotify, any, I don't think I can pay second, you guys this month. Yeah, any second that one song is going to be your whole career. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even putting out more music. No, I specifically want <laughs> my career to be based on that one song. It'll be like a one hit wonder, like Take On Me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's intentional. It's my take on me. Yeah. <laughs> you only get one shot. <laughs> I want to put out one great song and that'll be it. And I, ref- I refuse to try. Anyways. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy this podcast, then uh, number one, please share it with your friends. Let other people know about this podcast and they might listen as well. Uh, otherwise, you can go to Apple Podcasts. And I, I believe Apple Podcasts is the only one that does this. But they have a rating and review system. So a great way to support the show is to give it five stars on Apple Podcasts and maybe write a quick review as well. Beyond that, collegeinfogeek.com has lots of other great resources, our essential books list for students, our college packing guide, all kinds of great stuff that we have spent many, many hours working to polish and perfect. So check those out if you're curious. And uh, other than that, we will see you in the, I think, the first week of September is our next episode. Like I think two so. weeks from I now. Think, uh, yeah, I think so. So see you in two weeks. Um, and next Monday, I don't know, listen to an audiobook or something. Thanks for listening. Bye. <clears throat> oh, and stay cute.